0: I feel like I need to introduce myself. If you're here normally on a Sunday morning, it's someone else that you're going to hear preaching, Toby Levering, but he's been on vacation uh, last Sunday and this Sunday with his family. Uh, I was looking in my uh, records, uh, filing the sermon that I had just written on my computer and noticed that it was exactly a year ago that I preached, so thankfully you don't have to hear this very often. Uh, I'm the associate minister here. Normally I'm doing everything Toby doesn't want to do, but today... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, no, I'm not. Charles, I think it's only fair that we need to have Toby get up and lead worship some Sunday. Uh, So put that on your list of things to do. Normally, I do lead worship. If you're here and you see me up here, that's what I'll be doing. Uh, So this morning, we're going to talk about singing. Singing has been an important part of my life ever since I was very young. I was raised in a family of singers. I was in the school chorus all the way from fifth grade up through the end of my college career. I sang in a gospel quartet for eight years. I have sung at hundreds of weddings and funerals. I've even recorded some CDs of Christian music with my brother and sister. We enjoy giving those away as a ministry. I've led worship ever since I was 14 years old. Not very good when I started, still probably not that great, but I've done it a lot. So singing is a very important part of my life. And I know some of you have a similar background in music. Some of you have studied music and and enjoy singing. But a lot of you don't have that background, and I understand that. This morning I want to talk about singing, but I want to make it very clear that um, today's message is not just for those who have studied singing or who have good voices. You may not even enjoy singing. You know, I know some of you just come and kind of endure the singing, until we can't come to the part that you really came for, the sermon. And the weekly shout-out to Chick-fil-A. Oh, I said to myself I wasn't going to say anything about Chick-fil-A, and there I just did it. You know, if you find yourself in that camp, I want to encourage you to join with those who do enjoy singing and listen to what I have to say to you today. I think it's important. I want to start by saying that the Bible... Commands us to sing. In James chapter 5, verse 13. Let me get to the right slide here. Uh, James said, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And then in Psalm 96, the, the song uh, that was just read for us a moment ago, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation. From day to day. Did you know that the Bible contains over 400 different references to singing? And 50 direct commands for us to sing. The longest book of the Bible is the book of Psalms. And what is that book? Well, it's a book of songs, right? In the New Testament, we're commanded twice to sing to each other when we come together to worship. One of those passages is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of singing. After the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, in Exodus 15 we read that Moses and the Israelites sang a song to God. After Deborah and Barak defeated the Canaanites with the Israelite army, we read in Judges chapter 5 that the Israelites sang a song of praise to God. And then I'm sure that you're familiar with the passage in Matthew twenty-six thirty, where it says that after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he and his disciples sang a hymn before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you ever wondered why God tells us to sing? After all, I mean, words by themselves can motivate, can instruct. Why do we need to put those words to music? Why does God so often tell us not to just praise Him, but to sing those praises to Him? Why are God's people in the Bible always singing? Well, I think there's several reasons. First of all, I think that, Somehow putting words to music, to singing, can do more than just saying those words by themselves. Also, I think singing allows us to involve the heart, the emotions, with the head, the, the intellect. And finally, did you know that God himself sings? In Zephaniah uh, 3.17, we read that God exalts over us with loud singing. You know, if God sings, maybe He knows that'll do us some good too. Some people prefer music alone. Some people prefer words alone, but God says He wants them to be put together. That's why He tells us in Psalm uh, ninety-six one. That's not right. It's Psalm one forty-seven one. Ignore that ninety-six thing. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. God gave us music to use as a powerful tool to support and to deepen the impact of the words that we sing. So I want to look at three ways today that, God, that uh, singing enhances the words. First of all, singing helps us remember words. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to remember the hymns that you grew up singing as a child? or to remember the the commercials that you heard as a child now i'd be maybe dating myself or maybe dating some of you but do you remember this this commercial plop plop fizz fizz oh what a relief it is sing with me if you want what is that commercial trying to get you to buy alka seltzer okay kids i'm sorry you know may never or how about this one you deserve a break today where do they want you to go McDonald's, yes, yes. Let's all go to McDonald's. We can't go to Chick-fil-A. There, I did it again, Chick-fil-A. Don't tell Toby I said to. Or how about this one? I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect. What do they want you to go buy? Coca-Cola. Don't do that. It's got too much sugar in it. Okay. Do you ever find yourself singing along with the words of a song that you haven't heard for 20 years And somehow, magically, you can remember all the words. That happens to me sometimes. I don't understand. Well, I don't know. You know, we store thousands of songs in our brains, ready to be just called back up at a moment's notice. Music is a powerful memory aid. Scientists are discovering that our minds are designed to remember the patterns in songs much better than we can remember in the patterns of words by themselves. Every culture that I'm familiar with has songs that they use to help children memorize their alphabets, to to memorize numbers, to memorize memorize other lists. Uh, Let me ask, uh, well, I won't do a show of hands here, but how many of you learned the books of the New Testament by singing a song? I did. Okay, well, there are some hands. All right. You know that song, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, okay, here's a harder question. How many of you can actually say the books of the Bible without singing? Okay, you know what I'm about to say. Without singing that song in your head, do you say the books of the Bible like this? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letters to the Romans. You're singing that song in your head, aren't you? Okay, so I just proved my point. Singing helps us to remember things. You know, the power of music is easy to see in Alzheimer's and other dementia patients. A lot of times they cannot remember the name of their spouse or the names names of their children, but somehow they can remember all the words of songs that they learned when they were children. In Deuteronomy 31, God used a song to help his people remember his words. As Israel was about to enter the Promised Land... He told Moses in verses nineteen through twenty-one therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought to them when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and, and they have eaten and are full grown, or sorry, not full grown, full and grown fat. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. God knew that this song would help the Israelites remember those important words that he wanted them to know. Singing can help us Remember the words. Excuse me. Along with helping us remember words, singing also connects the words that we sing with our hearts. Singing helps us engage emotionally with words. In every culture and in every age, music is a language of emotion. Music can move us with or without words. Do you remember when David? was called upon to play his harp for King Saul when, when a troubled spirit would, would come upon King Saul, and his playing would help to calm and soothe King Saul. Our hearts should be involved when we sing because music is meant to affect us. When you combine music with words, the music can help you increase the emotional impact that the words have. You know, reading the lyrics of a song can be powerful, can be meaningful. But singing those lyrics can help us take more time to reflect on the meaning of the words. It can stretch out the words and give us time to to pause and think about them. We can put space in between the words uh, and think about them more. And you know, all of that, I think, can help us engage emotionally with with the words that we're singing. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, the song Amazing Grace. When we sing Amazing Grace, rather than just read the lyrics of the song, that allows us to really pause and think about certain words that we hold on for a while. Let me read the first line of the song to you. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now those are powerful words. But when we sing that line... Sing with me if you want to. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see what I mean? See how we pause on certain words and really reflect on those? That's why I think singing... You know, it gives us time to think about the words we're singing. Or how about the song, this is one of my favorite hymns that we do, When Peace Like a River, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me read the first words of that song to you. It is well with my soul. That's the chorus. How about, let's let's sing part of that. It is well with my soul. See how we pause on those words and stretch them out? The mood of this music matches what we're singing. It's peaceful and calming, isn't it? And the music builds to this this high point of confident trust in God. It is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, I love that song. Music can amplify the emotion of the words that we're singing. When the words are something like, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, the music needs to be joyful, doesn't it? When we're singing about the, the, the sorrowful time when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the music needs to match those words and, and maybe be more somber. Music influences and deepens the way that we respond emotionally, the words we're singing. The music helps us know how to respond to those words. While we're talking about the emotional effect of music, I think we should understand the difference between being emotionally moved and being spiritually enlightened. There's a difference. Music can move our emotions, but it cannot speak truth, can it? An instrumental piece can help us feel peaceful, but it can never give us any information about God. Only words can do that. When Paul and Stacy Harrington were missionaries in Japan, they told me they became friends with a woman whose favorite song was Amazing Grace. Now, she wasn't a believer. She didn't even know that there were words to that song until they told her that. But that Music moved her. And Paul told me that the song Amazing Grace is actually one of the most popular tunes in Japan. The music may move the people there, but the music alone doesn't tell them anything about the amazing grace of our God until they hear the words. While we're on the subject, I'd like to talk just for a minute about the important job that the worship leader has in selecting the songs that we use to worship God. You know, worship leaders have hundreds of songs to select from. Some of them are really great, like some of the ones we've sung today. But some of them are not so great. And let me tell you why I think that. Let me share with you my rules for selecting good songs. First of all, I think a song needs to be biblically correct if we're going to sing it. Now, I would say 99.9% of the songs we have in our books and in PowerPoint are biblically correct. But occasionally one will slip in that has something that's not exactly right in the Bible. Some of the songs we sing at Christmas time have a verse every now and then about how the wise men came to the stable and saw Jesus in the manger. Well, if you read the story, you know that's not true. We are people of the book, aren't we? We pride ourselves in knowing what the Bible says. And so whenever it's time to sing some of those songs around Christmas time, I'll sing them, but I'll leave out those verses that talk about the wise men not at the right place. Okay, maybe I'm a little too picky. You may say, good grief, Mark. Come on, you know, that's okay. I just like to sing songs that are biblically correct. Also, the words of the song need to be understandable. We have some great songs that are very poetic and wonderful, but they may use some words that are hard to understand, especially for younger people. Do you know what this phrase means, night? with Evan pinion, brooded o'er the veil. I love that song. I wish we could sing it a lot. But raise your hand if you know what that, maybe some of you do. I had to research it one time to understand what that means. Ask me later, I'll tell you what it means. I won't, I won't bore you with that right now. But should we be singing songs that have words we don't know what they mean? If, if we do, it's kind of like we're, remember the Charlie Brown cartoons where the teacher would just go, womp, 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 womp. You know, that's kind of what we're doing in a way when we sing words that we don't understand. Or how many of our young people know what it means when we sing that good old song, bringing in the sheaves, bringing... I thought it was bringing in the sheeps when I was a little kid. Any of you guys know what a sheaf is? Okay, you shocker fans ought to know what a sheaf is. It's a shock of wheat. Okay, now we can sing that song. But before that, we probably shouldn't, you know, because we, we don't understand what the words are. Okay, besides being understandable, words need to be well written. Words need to be, they need to motivate us, they need to move us, okay? They need to inspire us. There are some great songs we sing today that have some really great words that inspire us, and we need to pick those songs and avoid the ones that are kind of more on the shallow side. And I think the music itself needs not to be too difficult. There are some songs, honestly, some of the newer ones especially, that have rhythm that is just pretty tricky and have some notes that are just hard to figure out how to sing, especially if you don't read music. So I think those songs typically should better be left for the Northside singers or some special singing group to do. The music needs to match the words. Now, we've talked about this some already this morning. If the lyrics are joyful, the, the music needs to be joyful. If the music or if sorry, if those words are mournful, the music should be too. Let me give you an example of a song that I think doesn 't quite do a good job of matching up the words with with the music there 's a song we sing sometimes when we 're getting ready for the lord 's Supper that talks about the pain and the agony that Jesus went through on the cross and to be honest with you, the music sounds like it 's something you would hear at a carnival, and i 'm not trying to make a joke here that the music is like real happy and Dancy and woohoo, and I just think that's not the kind of music you need to be singing when you're talking about our Lord on the cross. So I avoid singing that song. Now, I'm not going to tell you the, word, the, sorry, the name of that song because you'll probably hate me for the rest of your life for making fun of a song that you just love, uh, but the, the point is the music and the words need to match. And finally, I think worship leaders need to pick mostly songs that are familiar to us. Now, I think it's good to learn new songs. Last Sunday night, as we do every fifth Sunday, we learned some new songs. And I think we should do that. We need to add to our repertoire of songs that we can sing. But once we learn a new song, we need to introduce it slowly on a Sunday morning. And we need to avoid singing all new songs on a Sunday morning. Because when you come here to worship, you want to be able to really do it with a lot of gusto, don't you? Um, You want to sing... Uh, with all your heart, and if all the songs are and you don't know how to sing them, that's going to be kind of discouraging to you. So our worship leaders need to pick songs that, mostly songs that we know. Now, most of you will never have to pick the songs that we sing in worship or at a Devo, but I think it's good for all of us to really, to understand a little bit about uh, what goes into making a song worth singing, and what kind of songs maybe we should probably retire Okay, we've seen how music can help us remember words and how it can help us engage emotionally with words. And a final way I think that singing does so much more than just reading the words is that it gives us a way to express our unity. People sing together in the strangest places, don't they? Have you ever been in a basketball game and sung with all the people on the home team about how you want to crush the opponent's? I remember when I was a student at Oklahoma Christian, we, you you remember that song that Queen used to do, where, we will, we will stomp you. I always thought, this is a bunch of Christians singing, we're going to stomp the opponents, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, but I joined right in, too. We sing in strange places, don't we? We sing at Christmas time, New Year's Eve, weddings, birthday parties, even at funerals. Our singing, when we sing together, tends to bind us together, doesn't it? It's more effective than just reading words in unison. Singing allows us to communicate the same thoughts and the same passions. And did you know that actually doing that somehow creates a physical effect on our bodies? Scientists have discovered that singing as a group produces a chemical change in our bodies that helps us bond with the others that are singing with us. Why do you think believers in the Bible so often sing together? Well, I think the reason is it's a way for them to confess their common beliefs together. Look at the picture of heaven that is painted for us in the book of Revelation. I've read the whole book many times. And you know what? I have never read anything about where I'm going to get to sit on my own little private cloud and sing praises to God all by myself. What, what is the picture that's painted for us? The picture we see there is that all the saints together are going to join together in one massive chorus to sing praises to God. Now, there's one thing I think we need to be clear about. It's the gospel that unites us, not music, right? A lot of churches today offered different worship services for different styles of music, musical taste. You know, and I'm sure they mean well, but I think the long-term effect of that practice is to separate generations. Doing that, I think, implies that our musical preferences, our musical taste, are somehow more important than the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What does it say to the world when we can't prefer each other long enough to sing each other's songs and to meet together. Worshiping God as a group, I think, is one way we witness to the world. When we worship together, we're saying that the gospel is what unites us, not musical styles and preferences. You know what? I don't love the people in our church because we like the same kind of music. I love the people in our church because God loved me first. And he told me the best way that I can love him back is to love all of you. One way we can show our love to each other is by being willing to sing each other's songs. When we worship, we usually sing a lot of different styles of music as we've done today. Take out the the order of worship that you've got there and look at it you'll see several examples of different styles of worship songs. I mean, for example, when we get together, sometimes we sing sort of formal, what you might call high church songs, like the one we sang right before I got up, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. We sing timeless classic hymns like All to Jesus I Surrender. Um, Sometimes we sing sort of southern gospel songs, uh, like uh, the closest one that comes to that, this Uh, Today was the great Redeemer. And we sing a lot of contemporary Christian music, like Magnificat. And I'm sure you've noticed that we, we have a number of different guys that get up and lead worship here at Northside. Each one has a different style of music that maybe they prefer and sing more of. One leader may prefer to sing mostly older songs, while another might sing mostly more contemporary songs. And I bet each one of you probably has a Favorite style of music that you prefer to sing too. You know, so what do you do when a worship leader gets up here and sings a song that was written in the 1700s and that is just not your thing? You think, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're singing this really old song. You know, that I think it was written before America became a country and we're having to sing this song. Or what do you do if we sing a praise chorus, one of those seven eleven praise courses that sings the same seven songs eleven times. You know, we over and over and over, when are we going to stop singing this? You know, what do you do when we sing that and that's just not your thing. Well, I think Paul had some good advice for us in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, where he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So when we sing a song that's not your favorite, not your preference, I suggest that you make a conscious effort to find some good in it and praise God anyway. The best you can, rather than just grumbling to yourself about, oh my goodness, or maybe not even singing the song at all. One time at a conference, I heard Francis Chan say something that I think is really appropriate on this subject. His comment was this. When someone says to me, you know, I just didn't really get anything out of worship today, I say back to them, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. I think that's brilliant. Another time I heard him say something similar, he said, can you picture those those wings? Creatures, six wings, hovering around the throne of God, singing holy, 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 and when all that's done, one of them says, I just didn't get anything out of worship today. That'd be ridiculous. All of us need to practice having a good attitude about the songs we sing. We need to sing each other's songs, and we need to do it with joy in our hearts. And those of us who lead worship need to try to work hard to select a variety of songs in different styles. I think Brent did a good job of that today. And as I select songs for worship, I need to consider you better than I consider myself and try to sing your songs too. The value of a song does not depend on when it was written. I know some churches that sing only songs that were written in the last five years. And I know other churches that Basically, don't want to do anything new. If it's new, it can't be any good, you know? The value of a song does not depend on when it was written. There are good older hymns. There are good newer songs. Okay, now let's go back to the book of Revelation for just a minute. The host of heaven that we read about there are not in unity because of the style of music they are singing, are they? They're in unity because of the focus of the song that they're singing. We read about it in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So these people from every tribe and language and people and nation, what kind of music do, you, do they sing? I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. God didn't tell us what style of music we'll be singing in heaven. But what he has told us is what the focus will be of our songs and what they should always be. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. The lamb must always be central to our singing whenever we get together and worship. And why? Because He is the one that made it possible for us to be redeemed. So what will we experience in that world, in the new heavens and the new earth? You know, I don't think we'll be singing all the time, but when we do sing, I can tell you this, it'll be like nothing we have ever experienced before. We'll have clearer minds to soak in the glories of God. We'll have new strength to, to give Him the glory that He deserves. And we'll have unlimited time in which to do it, free from any influence of sin. Our singing will finally serve the purpose for which it was intended, better than it ever has before. And until that day, I encourage us all to keep on singing Let's keep thanking God for old hymns that allow us to to join with the saints of history. And let's keep singing new songs that allow us to express eternal truth in new and fresh ways. You know, it's because our Savior rescued us from, from sin that we can sing the song of the redeemed. Let's sing it well. Let's sing it often. Let's sing it with passion. And let's sing it for His glory and to advance the gospel until the time comes when our songs will never end. Have you been redeemed? Have your sins been washed away by the blood of the Lamb? If you're ready to become a child of God today, I encourage you, if if that's what you need or if there's any other way that we can help you today, come forward as we stand and sing.